0: Welcome to the Home s- s- spun yak. How's it going, Cal? <laughs> that
1: works. It does. It's gonna get people's energy uh, last up week on a Monday.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forgot this drops on Monday, so yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh, what's going on? Artificial energy—that's what we're creating right now. <laughs> no, no, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel quite energetic today. Oh, I'm also, I just—I made myself some tea with some caffeine that I've put in myself. I weighed out 150 milligrams of caffeine and put it in tea. So, whoa, uh, turns out pretty well. Turns out pretty well. <laughs> it works. <laughs> it does what is it what, what is a
1: typical dose of caffeine in like your average cup of coffee do you know
0: uh yeah i mean i briefly looked that up it's 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 really variable uh starbucks like if you were to go to one starbucks store and continuously go back to that particular store it, it'll vary like even if you buy the exact same cup of coffee it's going to vary from Mm. from uh, day to day so it can be anything from like I don't know something as low well not that it's extremely low but like 70 milligrams all the way up to like 150 200 milligrams of of caffeine like in an energy drink it's anywhere from 150 to 200 sometimes even more
1: right but you you now have your own ingredients or you now do you now have everything you need to create uh the pre-workout you're talking about
0: yeah, yeah. So I bought beta alanine, creatine, and uh, caffeine. So those are the big three that I focus on, and that's what I've been that's what I've been using, and it really works. Like it, it absolutely works really well. Oh, nice. It's much cheaper that way too. Because you Although buy it I in will bulk. Say, yeah, because I bought in bulk. But I will say the caffeine, it changes the taste of particular drinks. So if I'm trying to flavor a drink. It will. It it completely throws it off. It makes it extremely sour. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I didn't
1: know that before. Yeah, I guess with energy drinks, there's just a lot more going on inside, other than just caffeine, to kind of mask that uh, that taste.
0: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. But it pays off. I mean, it's to, it's completely worth it. I'd rather pay. I don't know how much, I think like $40 or something, but it was for several pounds of caffeine. Oh so my God. <laughs> it'll last me a, a long, long time if I'm adding oh, wow. milligrams to, to, to drinks. And you got this on the dark web? The dark web, folks. <laughs> if you want to hook up, it, Somali- it is I.
1: Somalian pirates just got a huge <laughs> shipment. And they're really giving a deal out right now.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, it's a great deal. It's, it's the it's the pre-Black Friday deal. Uh, so I can get it off 3% off wow. if anybody wants it. Oh, yeah.
1: Three, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: It's crazy how Black Friday is just like an entire month now, basically. Oh, my God. It used to yes. be like people would get up super early on friday yeah. after thanksgiving and physically rush into the shops and like find good deals and sometimes you just got unlucky and you missed out because they were just like it's gonna sell out and you just have to be here but now it's like black friday it's like people eat thanksgiving lunch or dinner and then they're just like all right, yeah. I right gotta go to target now because they've already started black friday (laughs) so it's just like and then now everybody's like ah it's black friday month and then cyber cyber monday and all
0: that cyber monday yeah that entire weekend uh and even earlier in the week now in the in the newspaper you can get clippings of of or online even too of when they start their particular deals, which is, yeah, like you said, it's really crazy. They're pushing it back as far as they possibly can. And now they've run into Thanksgiving, like the actual holiday. So I'm curious (laughs) over time, which one is going to win? If tradition will win, if Thanksgiving will hold out and be like... No, the family has to be here. <laughs> and then you can or, go. And then you can go. Or if Walmart is somehow going <laughs> to muscle its way through our tradition and, yeah. and push Thanksgiving to like Wednesdays. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you don't have to really do Thanksgiving anymore. Come on, just just shop uh, the whole month.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's crazy, though. You're absolutely right. It, I will say I'm buying computer parts. I always buy computer parts on Cyber Monday. Oh, that yeah. it's Sci- the time yeah. to do Monday's it. Yeah, Cyber
1: Monday is fantastic. I mean, just for the fact alone, you don't have to go anywhere to secure these awesome deals. And you can get exactly what you want at the click of a button. Yep. That's pretty nice. One click. Just yeah, one.
0: It, t- it, t- it totally is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, with uh, Amazon's lightning deals and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> I know it's crazy. It's a it's a weird world. But you're absolutely right. I remember when, uh, like Black Friday, when you you would go out at, I don't even know what time, but like some people would start lining up really, really late at night on Thursday, and uh, oh yeah, and just get that line started. And once things camped were camped out, out yeah. they were sold yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, it was an experience, and it was kind of a weird but somewhat fun experience, yeah. but now, I mean, people still do it, but they start camping out We Like, like right now, after, right, right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it
1: just makes people feel like you're going to miss out if you don't get this deal, and you're like, oh, I guess that's a really good deal. I didn't know I even needed that, but I guess I do, <laughs> yeah. like. I don't. I don't yeah. want to feel like I'm missing out, or someone else is uh, getting an opportunity that I'm not getting. I don't know. Just the marketing and everything is just really working to their advantage with that.
0: Yeah, FOMO. Oh yeah, that's, they're capitalizing
1: like, on FOMO, and social media highlights that, and people just. I don't know. They're like, I didn't even know I needed it, but I do. I guess I do. Yeah
0: you end up seeing a tv that's you know the 4k oled display that's 75 inches and your wall is like 72 <laughs> inches but you're somehow going to find a way to cram this piece of shit in your in your house in front of your 55 inch tv that you bought last year exactly that's only an led it's instead too old. of a oled yeah. yeah it is too old absolutely it's way too what old. are you a peasant come on <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's the same way with like just trends in, in the beer world, too. Because, is it really? Oh my God. Like every single year, it gets earlier and earlier for pumpkin beers.
0: It's <laughs> 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 like Starbucks. Oh, man. I know. Really? Oh so just for pumpkin beer or like for for all kinds of seasonal uh, beers Yeah, how does sea, that work? seasonal
1: like Oktoberfest, they kind of start early as well, but when you kind of get into the for some reason the pumpkin spice craze, I mean on all fronts with coffee as well, like I yeah. saw pumpkin beers in July.
0: Good gracious.
1: I know. It's just absurd. And then, and then people buy so much because they want to have it through, you know, October and they're still sitting on it. I don't know who buys that shit, but it's, (laughs) it's terrible for the most part. It's, it's just garbage. And, uh, I don't know. It's just every year they just try to pump it out quicker and quicker. It's very weird, very bizarre
0: it is and it it ends up i think eventually it's going to equalize and it's going to start to retract back to the season it's supposed to go to. it's like like tentacles are reaching out from fall right now yeah into into different i mean we're in fall right now but like even in july like you were saying like it's starting to reach out to other areas kind of spreading the distribution of fall to to further out into summer and into winter and things of that nature and i do think it's going to start to retract back once people start realizing that's not as special. Like once something is not as rare, they don't want it as much. Yeah. So it's going to decrease the demand and then things are going to slowly. St- and then, of course, marketing is going to be like, oh, okay. So we're going to start limiting it to you have one week, get it all. And then they're just going to sell out as much as they possibly can. Yeah. Like it's it's always going to be a supply and demand issue but oh, yeah. right now for sure the the demand is insane just because of like the previous year and then the previous year before that and it's crazy.
1: Yeah. I mean what's the biggest what's the biggest thing this year that you've noticed that's going to be like in the tech world like something oh man super popular I mean like I know like the Oculus Rift stuff Oculus. is for sure. Probably going to be very popular as as uh, virtual reality type formats start to emerge. But I don't know if you noticed anything else in particular.
0: Uh, well, I know I'm falling into this. The uh, the AMD uh, Radeon, uh, not AMD. Yeah, AMD Ryzen. That's it. Sorry, I was I was getting confused with their graphics card. So. AMD is a CPU company. I know you already know this, but in case anybody's listening, AMD is a CPU company, and Intel is a CPU company. And Intel, if you look on your laptop, most likely it's an Intel sticker that's on there that says i7, or uh, it's usually i7 or i5. And those are different CPU classes that Intel creates, and they've dominated the market because they've been so good at creating these high-end CPUs that last a long time and are have great productivity. And this year AMD announced just a few months ago that they're coming out with their new Ryzen series of CPUs and those things are monsters. I mean just absolute monsters. They they use substantially less power but they produce like 50 percent more cpu like in terms of their productivity than the highest end intel and intel just got punched in the fucking face (laughs) by amd just completely annihilated and they those are already sold out like they've been sold out for for like six months now ever since they were announced they the moment it comes out of a manufacturer it's already being sent to someone like it's it's that high in demand, and I'm pretty sure that once uh, Black Friday comes and Cyber Monday comes, I mean those things are going to be. I don't even know if it's possible to double sell out, but right, they're they're definitely going to. You know, when you click on a button at an online store, and sometimes they'll say, "Hey, we don't have them right now, but they like, will be available by this date." You can back I'm order sure, one or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Back order. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. So, I'm sure that's definitely going to happen with these these amd ryzen cpus and i'm going to be one of them like right now right they've they've been selling them since like july or june and they're still sold out like people that ordered them in june still haven't received them oh they're my God. Th- that much in demand because and the manufacturers are pumping them out as fast as they possibly can so i'm probably going to be waiting till like beginning of next year to actually get it but it's totally worth it because those CPUs are absolute gods Wow so in the tech world that definitely for sure oh, GPUs that's cool. as well yeah. uh, the Nvidia released a what's called a 2080 TI which is like their their monster GPU and that thing is is really insane some some of the technology that's been being produced in terms of like software and gaming and things of that nature mm-hmm. has been uh, really propelling forward uh, the like if you look at, I think it's called ray tracing, and I don't fully understand it, but I think that if, you, if you're playing a video game and you're looking at, let's say, a puddle, uh, there's a reflection off that puddle. And typically what game designers would do is they would uh, produce an artificial image on that puddle to make it seem like there's a reflection there. But now what they're doing is they're making the entire environment interactive so that the puddle is actually reflecting everything that's going on in the environment. So then if you express that across windows, if you express that across water, across like the, the, the glint of your gun, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cars, like everything, that takes a substantial amount of GPU power. So NVIDIA has been releasing these graphics cards that are capable of of produ- of supplying that that particular power output so that's going to be another big one that's gonna and with
1: and with that i mean are you noticing that the gaming industry is more i mean the next steps or is that more uh pc or is that now are, are we getting away kind of from console like your traditional consoles now and more people are playing on PC or I mean is there new are there new advances in aside from virtual reality video games I mean I don't know what you've noticed but
0: yeah there there are uh when the when the Xbox One came out um that was substantially uh, well not substantially but it was a little bit underpowered compared to the PlayStation 4 and people were a little bit upset about that because the Xbox One was starting to become more of a multidisciplinary system, so you could watch movies, you could listen to music, you could do all these different things on it, which had its benefits. But uh, like true gamers were starting to get kind of upset because Xbox wasn't competing that much in terms of GPU output and being able to create the best graphics for and the best gaming experience um, for for gamers. So they came out with the Xbox One X. And that kind of pushed uh, the CPU hardware. So the CPU in the Xbox One was called a Jaguar architecture. So it's a it's a, a a little bit older architecture from what AMD produces now, which which is what I was just describing with the whole Ryzen series. And the funny enough, I think PlayStation uses the same same CPU architecture, but they use it differently. So they they beefed it up a little bit and. So when Xbox One X came out, they decided to, to increase the amount of RAM, so the amount of memory uh, that the Xbox has. So it has 12 gigabytes as opposed to eight gigabytes, which is found in the PlayStation 4, and I believe in the Pro as well, uh, PlayStation 4 Pro. And now what they're talking about for PlayStation 5 is, I think, and I haven't actually looked up the specs, but I think they're gonna move up to 12 gigabytes of RAM, but they're also going to have a uh, better CPU architecture to, to allow them to create some of these graphical improvements. But no matter no matter what, the the PC is always going to have a slight advantage over any sort of console because mm-hmm. uh, the PC is obviously interchangeable, so you can take out parts and input right. new parts and things upgrade that as you want. Ch- yeah, exactly. But the positive of the console is that most of that CPU power, most of that GPU power is going into the game. Uh, so instead of having background applications, like right now we've got Zencaster open and we've got Google Chrome running and things of that nature. So that's sucking up some of the, that that RAM that our computer uh, has available to, to be able to run some of these programs. But in a console, the benefit of that is that you, you essentially have nothing. You have a little bit in the background running, but most of the the power of that GPU or the most of that power of that CPU can be uh, used for the game exclusively. And then on top of that, they're adding a lot of cloud computing, so something that Xbox and Microsoft has been playing around with. And you may have heard of Google coming out with their own Uh, system as well, which is purely cloud computing, where you're essentially just using an internet access to be able to produce the image on your screen. There are negatives to that because there's greater latency in terms of your reaction time. So if you were to move your joystick, uh, the, the actual effect that you see on the screen has a little bit more of a lag time. Uh, between the actual movement of the joystick and what you see on screen but Mm. there are some there's some great things you can do with that because instead of of having the cpu or the gpu actually have to run the compute units to create let's say a landscape something that might not change very much uh, you can you can offload that onto a cloud so that it's it's being input or offloaded uh through this this cloud network, through this internet network that allows for the generation of these different populations of units or populations of different things on screen that aren't going to be changing. So then the computer, the actual local CPU, the, the thing that's in your box itself, can then be allocated more towards... Improving the graphics of like your gun or running at 60 frames per second or 120 frames per second As opposed to running at like 30 frames per second or something along those lines So they're really getting pretty crafty with this stuff And I, I do think that console is going to continue to have a life But it's always going to be just like a half a step mm-hmm. be uh, Behind any PC architecture that's out there Right
1: Well, I mean that's definitely good to know. Is the PS5 something that is slated to come out soon or have they even announced a, a date yet for that?
0: Uh, I think next year, end of next year, I think. <clears throat> okay. I think. I'm not 100% uh, sure on that. Yeah, it's uh, technology's a, a crazy business. It's something that's yeah. constantly pushing forward.
1: I know. It's like as soon as something new comes out, it's like you buy it and then it's... I don't know. There's always someone working on something related to oh, that. Yeah. That's they're making advances in really quickly, and then you have something that's just kind of set in stone. Where I, whereas if you're into video games and you have a PC, like you said, you can continually buy new parts and upgrade as that technology emerges, which is cool too. But I don't know. I just feel like I don't. I I feel old school and just kind of loyal to consoles. But I guess you could use the uh, the controllers that you would use for a console. You could use that same one for PC as well. But you could also use the keyboard and do have a lot more control maybe as well. So I, I don't know. It just varies based on what games um, you're playing and what you want to do. Yeah, uh, it totally does. But I guess that can... Segue into the next topic uh, actually wanted to talk about, which is, uh, <laughs> no, I want to talk about this because it leads to this as well. But okay, um, I just want to get your take on whether or not you feel like video game, violent video games um, have any impact whatsoever with, which would translate over into actual violence um, in society like does it cause people to be a little bit desensitized to violence which is a totally different question Um, and I have no data on this at all I don't know how you could possibly find it but I know we've played a lot of games but um, I I don't know if you've ever thought about that before it's always been an argument on the news occasionally, um, but I don't, I don't know. What's your take on that?
0: Yeah, I, I will say, I think uh, I think the number of people that I've killed probably stayed about the same uh, after I started playing <laughs> video games, so. Oh, okay, so it <laughs> uh, didn't, didn't decrease or increase. No, I think it was relatively neutral. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but were you no, any I,
1: more or less emotional about it? <laughs>
0: Uh, maybe my sensitivity decreased. I will say I got a little more creative Oh, okay. uh, due to video like games. Learn new ways, new methods. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, cause you can kind of plan things out a little bit better. Right. Oh, uh, when it comes to like Grand Theft Auto or something like that. Oh, sure. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I've, I've heard on the news kind of like what you said that, uh, people have talked about it in the past and, uh, I, I a lot of this stuff is difficult to study because any of the research that's been done, which has, so far the research that has been done, and I have full disclosure, I have not actually looked at that research. So uh, that's that's always a big priority for me. But on the people that have reported on this research, they've mentioned that the research is a correlative. So there's an association. Uh, or they're looking at associations, and they found that there's no link between violent video games and increased uh, aggressiveness in in individuals. Uh, so I, I don't really know. Um, it seems it seems a bit far fetched for me to necessarily say like there's a causative point where a kid plays a violent video game and then suddenly just becomes violent that just yeah that seems a little far-fetched to me but i don't know i i think the desensitization issue may actually be something to to be concerned about kind of over time uh, the more you get bombarded with uh constant violence uh maybe you do start thinking that it's something that's just part of life which would be a bit of a shame i don't know what do you think
1: yeah i don't know that necessarily based on your amount of playing violent you know games of whatever type would increase your likelihood of being violent in the real world but i think that it probably does impact your Emotional awareness of violence maybe and, and I don't know maybe just just based on how many how many violent acts um, are reported in the news I think that can make people desensitized to it as well because it's like oh here's another shooting and here's another this and like it's I don't know it's just like the next day you kind of just move on because of the prevalence of it and maybe the way it's reported and just maybe the way that some people kind of just expect it now in society. That could be another desensitizing um, characteristic. Um, So I don't know. I think it definitely has the potential to limit your... uh, sensitivity to violence for sure, but translating that over to actually committing violent acts without any emotion, I, I think that's a much deeper psychological issue that stems from, you know, things that actually happened in your life, your chemical makeup in your brain, and um certainly there can be triggering events. Um that happen along the way that that make you do certain things, but I think when you see violence, there's a, oftentimes a whole lot more of a story, a, a much more complex story um, that goes into it than we actually know, and a lot of people want to look for the easy, quick um, answer to something that they can kind of just grab onto that's tangible, like video games, like, oh, it's video games. That's, that's gotta be the reason, like, we should do this and that. When in reality, it's just, it's laziness, it's complacency, it's, it's fear of understanding the truth. Um, The fear of what you don't fully understand that is preventing us from um, asking the tough questions and really getting deep into the minds of, uh, or the idea of how we actually combat these violent issues in society. Um, I don't know. It's, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors. It's just like in the eighties when, um, they tried to correlate uh, rock music and rap yeah. to to violence yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, that's a good one.
1: Yeah, so it's just there's phases of things in society that get blamed uh, for things that maybe they're not responsible for at all. But it's just easier because they're on such a big platform that people can grab a hold of it and link on to that idea that yep that's the cause we found out so now we have to limit their power and limit your usage of their materials or we need to put labels on things and yeah it's just something i think that backfired definitely when they tried to do that in the 80s with uh you know trying to trying to say certain bands and and records were like if you listen to this you'd worship the devil and you'd you know, you'd run away from home, you'd kill people. It's just nonsense. Yeah. So you just got to look deeper into it.
0: Speaking on music, uh Joe Rogan was talking about the, like he he felt like there was a, a dramatic shift in music in the 60s and 70s. Like, there was, like there's always been great music from decade to decade, but specifically in the 60s and 70s, there was this massive shift in the quality of like there's more quality music during that sixties and seventies period as opposed to eighties, nineties and two thousands and two thousand tens like now. what 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 do you think? Do you think that there's that there's objectively or I mean even subjectively, who cares? We're talking about music. Do you think that there's a dramatic shift in music? that happened at a particular decade, or do you think that there is a particular decade that has just fundamentally just better music?
1: Yeah, um, I definitely think that in the 60s there was an explosion of new music, new genres, new ideas, um, new expression, um, because it was a generation that felt Felt kind of boxed in, closed in by, uh, and this is like the baby boomer generation, um, maybe felt like boxed in by the 50s ideal of just the perfect life. And, you know, you listen to one white guy on the radio, and um, it was just very bland, very generic, and... Yeah. Um, I don't know, I could I could talk about this forever. Um th- <laughs> it, <laughs> we'll go it, for it, it. <laughs> it goes, um God, I think there's so many reasons why in the sixties, I mean, so many different things culminated to make the sixties the decade that it was such uh-huh. so, so such a powerful decade for so many different things, but music in particular, I mean like in the fifties and um you had these really great blues artists like, you know, Chuck Berry, Little Richard. And, uh, you know, they were obviously these guys were black and they were discriminated against and they, um, you know, they had a lot of things that were holding them back from their maybe full potential, but their talent enabled them to still get on the air and guys like you know, Keith Richards, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, mm-hmm. Eric Clapton, these guys in England grew up listening to that music, whereas your, your typical American person was listening to st- things much more generic and, you know, I don't know, not as, not as interesting um, because I think a lot of white kids in America at the time just didn't listen to black music, but people in, in England they were obsessed with it and those guys that I mentioned you know as kids you know they want all they wanted to do is play like Chuck Berry or listen to or BB King or people like that so they took you know that and kind of made their own style of music um, to create like sort of rock and roll as we know it I mean and in the '60s, when the Beatles hit, I mean it was just like <laughs> and it was just like a revelation worldwide. I mean, you, you see the footage yeah. like people never heard anything like that before in their lives. And yeah. peop- they would go on tour, and they wouldn't even be able to hear themselves play. A lot of times they would just fake like they were playing because the screaming would, would, would start as soon as they walked on to as soon as they left and it was so loud you couldn't hear anything and that's that's one of the reasons why they stopped touring is because they're like we can't even can't even play like we almost get killed every single night for like guys and girls running on the stage literally trying to just tear them apart just consume them like it's a primal urge (laughs) because they've never ever been had that sort of feeling before so it was like a lot of things inside of people at the time just wanted to get just wanted to break out and express themselves in a way that they had never done before and they um, they did so you know with Woodstock and all these things expressions of not only musically but mentally where you know you also had um, LSD come into society around that time it had been discovered I think in the uh, maybe early 50s Um, it'd been synthesized then but it was really the 60s that was like they were getting it out to people and I think that psychological or uh, psychedelic drugs mind-altering mind-expanding drugs also changed the genre of rock and roll as well because you listen to the Beatles early stuff and it's very much like it's good but it's like I want to hold your hand and you know kind of corny stuff but it worked at the time then you look at what they did with like uh Abbey Road and um, yeah yeah Sergeant Pepper and the style completely changed but it was still brilliant and I mean I think that's directly impacted by the way that society was changing how people were viewing independence how people were altering their mind and and looking for other alternative ways of belief and expression Um, and so all these different factors culminated in just just a different sound and just music was never the same I mean you had Jimi Hendrix as well and maybe one of the most iconic sounds ever in music, guitar sounds for sure. Um, Yet, like Pink Floyd emerged um, from the 60s, Led Zeppelin uh, emerged in the late 60s. And a lot of people, you know, the Rolling Stones, I mean, so many people in England blew up then or were starting to. And then they came and toured America and it was like we're basically playing your we're basically playing music that originated here from guys like, you know, the old black blues guys from the thirties up mm-hmm. through the fifties. We're basically playing that and reintroducing you guys to your own music that you just were not that you're just too ignorant to To listen to and appreciate what you actually had, but we're just putting a new a new twist on it. But basically we learn from these guys and Elvis people like that kind of groundbreaking people, but definitely the Beatles were like, you know, there had been nothing like that before and they inspired pretty much everybody after them, because they're so diverse and their music portfolio is so varied. Um. But, yeah, that I don't know. I just look at that time period as, like, kind of the big bang of um, <laughs> <laughs> of rock and roll anyway. But also, you hear really famous musicians in different genres, and they're like, yeah, I mean, I, I listen to the Beatles. Or I listened to, you know, Pink Floyd, um, Led Zeppelin when I was a kid, too. But maybe now I'm into blues or I, I don't know. It's just that was definitely... A time for so many different things especially in the United States where you know we just went on a completely different path
0: but you feel like the 50s were the catalyst then to the 60s explosion or as you put it the Big Bang
1: I think so Um, just because like especially in England like you had this is right after World War II and a lot of a lot of England is damaged, destroyed from the bombings throughout the war and it was kind of a bright spot in the 50s for these young guys um, you know which inspired them to kind of come out of that darkness of post-war Britain um, and just just do something else that you know, provided them joy, um, in a, in a kind of a society of darkness for, for that period. Um, but it was just like a cultural explosion, you know, not only there, but in California, you know, you had the whole hippie movement, but a ton of artists came out of California as well. I mean, the Eagles, Jackson Brown, uh, Neil Young, Uh, I don't know I mean the list goes on and on but it's definitely like the 50s I think definitely that's when everybody's um starting to really discover you know hey this this music is really cool like we could put our own spin on it the 60s is when it was actually was kind of actualized um first in Britain and then it just it spread here like wildfire
0: basically yeah it seems that way it's uh it, there's there's a lot of iconic bands to the point where if you were to just mention the band even if the person doesn't know them which is hard to imagine but like i mean you've mentioned led zeppelin pink floyd uh, you know there's all kinds that have come out of the the 60s and going into the 70s those those particular artists left such a dramatic impact that even today they're revered and I don't know if there's another decade where a person could list so many different artists from that particular decade and people will say you know 20 30 40 50 years from now that yeah that they they would just have recognized like yeah I don't know I'm like if I were to just come up with one like the black keys if you were to say Mm -hmm. that them they're really popular now but I don't know if, well, I know, I, I almost know for a fact that they're just not going to have the yeah. impact that some of these others had that that you've already mentioned. Oh, yeah, uh, because they can transcend
1: time, basically. They can transcend decades. Right. Like, you know, there are certain things that define decades, but good music is going to be good music forever. And it's just hard now because I think it, I think then it was the quality had to be so good based on the technology that you had, it had to be pure. And all the records you made like, pretty much every track was like, we need to put everything we have into every single track. Um, because this is who we are, we can't just put filler in here. That's why I like any Led Zeppelin album you can listen to it from front to back and there's not a bad song on there I mean it's just Pink Floyd same thing the Beatles same thing I mean you you can go down the list of a lot of bands you know through the 60s 70s 80s and sometimes even the 90s and like Tool Tool for sure (laughs) Oasis for sure in the 90s um you can yeah, you can look at a lot of things, but now it's like you see an album or it's like you only want to listen to one or two songs. That's so true. Because people are pumping out these singles and I don't know, you just don't buy albums and you don't buy CDs anymore. You you can pick and choose. Whereas back then it was like you bought a record and it's like you were just so happy to have that record you just wore it out like let's just put it on and just don't touch anything yeah (laughs) it's like an it's like an experience basically I, i don't know it's just there's a lot more quality and thought not that there isn't that going on now i mean there's definitely bands you know now that are putting tons of thought quality and effort into making a a cd or a album that they don't want to compromise for at all but the unfortunate side of that is like you kind of have to compromise now because there's so many things out there if you want to be famous and you want to have your name out there and played on the radio but i think the people with integrity are gonna say f that you know i don't i didn't get into i didn't get into it just to make money like i get into it because I love playing music my way, you know, and you're not mm. going to, and pe and so many people do, do that, but then they're like, oh yeah, I'll do whatever you want. Just, I want to be famous more, Yeah. you know, and you can tell who those people are.
0: Uh, a majority. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't even care what some people say. Like some of the artists, they're, they're just BSing their way through an interview. Uh, so, oh yeah. I, it's good gracious. It, you're so right about the filler aspect. They'll have yeah. one or two songs that they're really banking on, that they've put a lot of effort into. And let's be real, they probably didn't even produce the song themselves. But let's no. given given the benefit of the doubt and they produced the song, Like you can tell the quality of that one song, which still, in my opinion, isn't that great, but it's still a higher quality than all the other songs of that album, which... Maybe have like a catchphrase or something like that that they throw in there, and they yeah. hope that it sticks in a person's head, and that's what makes the the song quote unquote good, yeah, as opposed to having actual artistry in terms of like this segment of the song i'm gonna I'm gonna do something really cool and bring in a different instrument or you know something some different sound or something along yeah. those lines. It's just it's always follows a generic structure and uh it's it's really frustrating to listen yeah. to that stuff
1: it's 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 pretty sad, but you know even in the you know seventies through the eighties when it was like radio stations were on top of the world, just like playing the new stuff, you wanted to have a track that was like a k radio friendly something right. that was catchy and you know you could continuously play, but even those were really good even if the band was like that's not maybe my fa our favorite song on the album but we know that like we needed to have something that would be a little bit more crowd pleasing in a way like a stretch across certain age groups or whatever um it was still quality like you know certain bands just knew like how to make good music different ways right um so I don't know I mean I I I love the music I, obviously from the 60s through I don't know I mean obviously I like stuff now but I think the 60s through the 90s I, I tend to listen to the most like if I had to look through my you know percentage iTunes what I listen to it's probably bands from those decades um I don't know, just seemed like bands from those, those eras in particular, not only were they making records that, you know, every single song they wanted to, to be good, um, they could also perform that, the same songs on their album live, the same if not better, you know, because like, I feel like if you're, you're only about half a band, if you can't, if you can only do studio and you it doesn't translate to your live shows as well that's a huge thing for me as well like your how good you are live means a lot too because sometimes i prefer the live version over the the regular
0: oh absolutely just the the small nuances and and like how the drums are being performed or how they get like a, a particularly slightly dirty aspect of the guitar oh, yeah. or you know, so like Jimi Hendrix. I mean fuck. Yeah. Right there. Like that. Yeah. When when he when he played uh I guess in uh 69 when he played at uh Woodstock. Uh, Woodstock, thank you. Uh you know, it was it was it had a screechy aspect to it, but it was just like this high note and it just like flew through the sky. You know? And like you can you can capture some of that essence through through a recording but you certainly, like being there and actually experiencing it i'm sure that was so much better than i oh, mean yeah. pe- people were silent people were just <clears throat> just mesmerized by this this yeah. introduction of how this guitar was being used it's uh it's oh yeah it's definitely groundbreaking absolutely yeah just uh <laughs> that slight that slight even sometimes in more extreme circumstances, when they they really abuse their guitar, uh, yeah. the guitar is just one example. But it's 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 pretty. It definitely adds a particular feel to, to the song that you might not get if you listen to it from a studio.
1: Oh, totally. And then you have like crowd interaction as well. Sometimes it's kind of cool to hear. Um, yeah. But a- another incredible live performance if you haven't seen it from woodstock is uh carlos santana yeah. um, soul sacrifice it's unbelievable because he just you know if you listen to the record or the album or the record on the um or the track on the record it's amazing too but then they just kind of freestyle and they go way more extreme with it a little bit Mm -hmm. and he his solos a lot longer um but when he talks about it um now because it's such a famous event um he was like yeah i was on mescaline uh (laughs) at the time and the neck of the guitar was basically a snake when i looked down at it it was a snake and i was basically doing everything in my power to control the snake so he didn't bite me or try to try to wrap around me and the more I was able to control it like the better I played basically like just wild stuff people were just and and back then people were just so much more likely to take heroin or drop LSD do coke get wasted and then go on stage and just I mean obviously sometimes that doesn't work but like it was just kind of expected back then to be like be as wild as possible like on and off stage as a rock and roll star or persona or group like how wild can you get what how many hotel rooms can you destroy and crash a car into a lake and do so many different things and still be able to go out and perform whereas now it's like i don't know you just don't you don't get that probably for the best but
0: you know it's always like makes for fun stories yeah it totally does i i watched a documentary i don't know if you've seen it on woodstock 19 the first year the 1969 woodstock how they uh they initially wanted to it was started by like some young guy or like two or three Mm -hmm. young guys they're in their mid-20s or early 20s and they just thought it'd be cool to to do this festival so they started this uh they started Woodstock and they they had originally planned to do it somewhere else but then uh, the town was against having all these druggies and all these hippies come into their town so they ended up having to move it to uh where it ended up being where Woodstock and uh the they they had tried to plan this out as well as they possibly could but this is the first time they were doing it and uh they didn't expect I don't know however many hundreds of thousands of people that end up showing up I I don't know it was like I guess don't quote me on this but I think it was like 400,000 I could be wrong on that but some absolutely just insane amount of people going to this small town and uh, they they had built these, they they could either build the the stage. They were like two days out or one day out or something along those lines. And people are already showing up. I mean, people are showing up because they were traveling from across the country in some instances. So they were getting there a few days early uh, before this festival started and they could either build the stage or they could build the fences to keep the people out and only allow the people obviously that had tickets and they they, they had to build the stage so they just they just didn't have fences so when people would call home uh, the people that were already there when they would call home they would just tell them like hey don't worry about the tickets just come just and there were a lot more people that came than they were supposed to and they announced essentially after the first day like yeah guys listen this concert's free we we have no way of <laughs> we have no control yeah we have no control over this situation and then they said like please we beg you like make it make it a great experience like don't don't screw this up essentially and then yeah Like, but then keep in mind, like with that, you know, with Jimi Hendrix, with, I can't even remember all the different people that end up going, but there are tons of incredibly famous artists. Maybe they weren't that famous then, but they were certainly rising. And some of them were extremely famous. Um, they, they had to get paid and they still showed up like they still showed up and yeah. Performed and the, the place was so jam packed that the roads were completely gridlocked. So they had to to hire a helicopter to yeah. uh fly these these artists in and they had to change the scheduling and all that because the just the, the mayhem that occurred in terms of mayhem in terms of just the number of people and the the number of cars and the transit and whatnot. Not necessarily that people were causing mayhem, but yeah, like you said, like the, all every single one of these people were <laughs> were tripping on acid and just shrooms and <laughs> yeah. just having the time of their life, and it was one of the greatest kind of come together like, moments. Yeah, peaceful gatherings, such a large gathering. Yeah, of people
1: yeah. like kind of with one common goal, I guess. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that was like the height, probably the event that was like the height of the 60s that kind of marked that sort of movement, that that period, um, in music anyway. Mm-hmm. And then I think later, or in like 70, or late in 69, it might have been in 70 or 71, there's a huge, they were trying to replicate that in a place called Altamont in California, and the Rolling Stones were basically headlining and uh it definitely it just spiraled out of control um Mm. in a bad in a negative way like one guy got shot and killed um like right in front of the stage like they saw it happen like they're in the middle of playing and you can look up like footage of this where they're like getting into a song and then like you can see like crazy commotion at the front and then they just stop immediately and Mick Jagger's like yelling at people like please like everybody back up like it's it's pretty wild like and Keith Richards the guitar player was kind of like yeah that definitely was in my mind the event that like killed the peace love happiness vibe of the 60s and he's like Mm. now we're into the 70s and it was a, a, a totally different um, vibe from that. Um, but yeah, it's pretty pretty intense.
0: Yeah, it it is. It's it's something that's really difficult to capture. Uh, yeah. Th- that that peace mindset and like what happened, you know, like what what in the world could could lead someone to, cause most likely you're talking about strangers in that situation. Like yeah. they just want to get close to the stage or whatever. Well, they,
1: yeah, it was like hell's angels were doing security. Cause they basically came in and were like, we're going to, we'll be your security. And we're kind of threatening. And yeah, obviously when you're dealing with those guys, that's probably not going to be <laughs> like <laughs> your ideal, like go to security. Obviously they're like, huge threatening guys that mm. um actually i think it was a hell's angel that killed the guy because he pulled a knife out they claimed or something he just shot him and uh i don't know it was just a lot of i think other drugs were starting to emerge like i don't know if if, the, if they were pushing out like i don't know if meth was around then but definitely speed, meth, things like that, maybe cocaine, mm-hmm. um, heroin, certainly. That's when you kind of get the 70s, like into the 80s, where like crack cocaine, epidemics, yeah. things like that. And I, I don't know. You had you had certainly a mentality in the 60s that was in some ways fueled by marijuana and LSD and psychedelics. Um And they were legal for a while in the U.S., but um, after that, they were made illegal because certain special interest groups that had their, you know, had the pocket of the government, um, certain organizations who didn't want to do any research at all on these drugs. Yeah. wanted to, you know, create myths and... And falsehoods around their effects, and what rather than really trying to understand this new thing that was so powerful in society, you just want to eliminate it and criminalize people who use it. Um, yeah, so and now we're finally, you know, starting to be able to pick back up where we left off in the 50s because there was so much research done after albert hoffman had synthesized lsd for the first time and then you had people who had been to mexico and south america who had gone on these spiritual quests with the shaman with certain things like peyote and Mm -hmm. mushrooms that people had been using for thousands of years in those civilizations um they were like oh man there's something to this like we definitely need to to do studies on it and they did and i think it just got out of hand in the 60s and then basically government shut it down like i say until recently where maps is starting to do a lot closer look into hallucinogenics and um, things like ecstasy and mdma uh, how that might impact People positively going forward done in the right
0: circumstances. Yeah, uh, Johns Hopkins here uh, in yeah. in Baltimore just opened a clinic that specifically looks or specifically studies psychedelic drugs, and their positive impact. As a matter of fact, I think what would be really interesting is getting one of my friends here uh, to to join us on the podcast. He's extremely knowledgeable when it comes to. All kinds of drugs. Uh, I mean, any psychedelic drugs. He knows, he knows their history. He knows their effects. He knows all kinds of information on it. So I think, I think he'd be a great person to have on the. Yeah, podcast. I'd love
1: to. I'd love to. That's a topic that I'm, I'm very fascinated by.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, like the the. Uh, I guess it was Hoffman. I I you know I don't I don't know the history of all this stuff, but um, with. The bike days? Did you ever look into that? Like the, um, oh yeah, bike day being a big thing. Yeah, for, because of LSD. Oh yeah. So he he's yeah, the one that basically
1: yeah, that. yeah, and he, God, I can't um, wow, he lived to 102, Albert Hoffman. <laughs> um, <laughs> do LSD. Yeah, he sent, sin- <laughs> he synthesized it, and you know, it can get into I think it can get into your skin. Yeah. Um if you touch it. Um and he was just like on his ride home started to feel the intense <laughs> effects and then into the night and then a little bit into the morning yeah. but stayed up and recorded, you know, basically what he was going through because as a scientist that's just what he did. Yeah. And um he's like, Oh my God, I have to I just have to, like, I have to go deeper into this and tell people about it. And, you know, because I think initially he was trying to create a drug. um, God, for something else. Um, yeah, I
0: can't remember what it is either.
1: Yeah, I, I can't remember, but obviously didn't. Something completely different happened. Yeah. Um, And I actually have a quote here. I just looked him up really quick. Um, After he absorbed a small amount of the drug through his fingertips and discovered its powerful effects, he described what he felt as being, quote, affected by a remarkable restlessness combined with a slight dizziness at home, I lay down and sank into a not unpleasant, intoxicated like condition, characterized by an extremely stimulated imagination. In a dreamlike state, with eyes closed, I perceived an uninterrupted stream of fantastic pictures, extraordinary shapes with intense kaleidoscopic play of colors. After some two hours, this condition faded away. So that's basically the very first LSD trip. Yeah. <laughs> Um,
0: yeah not an unpleasant experience apparently
1: no he said it gave me an inner joy an open mindedness a gratefulness open eyes and an internal sensitivity for the miracles of creation I think that in human evolution it has never been as necessary to have this substance LSD it's a tool to turn us into what we are supposed to be that's what he said on his 100th birthday
0: that's crazy
1: yeah pretty cool
0: yeah it really is yeah it'd be great to, to have him on because uh, he knows all about that I mean he's studied it to, to death so I'll have to, I'll have to talk to him see if he's yeah. To, I'm pretty sure to. he is
1: yeah has he done it
0: I can either confirm or deny because <laughs> I I, I I don't want to speak for, for anyone else when it comes to, to yeah. illegal substances.
1: <laughs> well, maybe that's a question for when he
0: comes on. I can promise you he's neither going to confirm or deny. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, had him, I had him on the, the Physionic podcast. I did a journal club with him where we, we broke down a particular paper that looked at a variety of different psychedelic drugs and their impact on the brain in terms of their impact on neurons um and right uh yeah so it was it was a it was an inter- really interesting paper uh but yeah he was telling me a little bit about just some of the history and that's how I learned about bike day obviously and that's that's how yeah. I learned about some of the effects of LSD and DMT and doi and uh geez like uh
1: ayahuasca and
0: yeah um psilocybin and psilocybin yeah a variety of of different drugs so uh, it was cool stuff for sure it was really cool
1: yeah i i read that book by uh michael Pollan just put out um how to change your mind yeah Um, which was interesting too i mean it was a lot of things that i maybe sort of knew already but he kind of goes and does a first person experience on several different things and recounts you know how he felt with it and what exactly happened in his mind and um, kind of talks about the history in, in the U.S. and what's been going on now Yeah, so it was kind of cool to, to get his because he's a great writer too so yeah. it was nice to get like a very well detailed experience of a of a hallucinogenic experience. Like he smoked, um, the, uh, the frog juice. Yeah. Have you heard about this one? Well, he's he's talked
0: about it in, on the Joe Rogan experience again.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was a cool little passage. What he, (laughs) what he experienced there. Yeah. It's just like, how the hell did you discover that? Yeah. like the first person to discover that
0: well we well, tell 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 it anyways
1: well basically there's this particular toad um I think you can find in like New Mexico mm-hmm. certain parts of the yeah you know, maybe southwest or and um basically they have these juices that they'll secrete from their pores if you squeeze them and <laughs> There's so many of these things um, that come out a certain time of year, and there's these people who go in with masks and um, discreetly try to do this because the substance itself has been made illegal. Uh-huh. And um, you catch a fro- a toad or however many, and you squeeze it, and apparently it does nothing to harm the, the frog, but obviously the frog can't tell you that. Um, his expression just <laughs> Bitch, does not what change you doing? at all. <laughs> you secrete it onto like a, uh, like a window pane, uh-huh. like a little piece of glass and you wait for it to dry. And then you scrape it off into, uh, you know, a bowl or, a, or some sort of smoking receptacle mm-hmm. and you, you smoke it like a few different times in a row And essentially like you're just kind of knocked back and you lay down and for about 10, 15 minutes you go through an insane (laughs) hallucinogenic experience inside your mind Mm -hmm. Um, and you feel like you're blasted into outer space. I mean, that's and you encounter different beings or you keep repeating something or you right. remember something from your past I don't know. It it can be quite different for certain people, but nonetheless it's overwhelmingly powerful no matter who who you are. Yeah. I mean it does doesn't matter if you have like some sort of tolerance or whatever, you're gonna have a wild experience that maybe sometimes for people feels like, you know, hours upon hours, but you've only been in this alternate reality for 10 minutes. Yeah, right. So it's just fascinating um, because we still don't know the full range of effects that these kind of things can do, but people are certainly looking more into it uh, now. There's a show on Vice called Hamilton's Pharmacopeia, Where it's this guy, Hamilton, who's a chemist, and he goes to all different parts of the world that might have a ritualistic past of using these substances to, you know, do all sorts of things, go different places in your mind and um, hallucinate. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting because he documents the history, the, the pharmacology of these substances, like... He does the thing with the frogs. He goes to Russia and um, goes mushroom hunting with these, like, hermits for these crazy mushrooms. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's an interesting, like, sort of Anthony Bourdain, but with, like, hallucinogenics. Yeah, right. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it is really cool. What I'm most intrigued by is the effect that it has on the brain, obviously, but... Just not necessarily a negative effect, but like during the hallucin- like hallucinations that people experience, like what is going on in their brain yeah. that's that's causing them to experience like this specific set of halluc- hallucinations. Yeah. Uh, that's that's really intriguing to me because, I mean, there has to be a biological basis for it. There's, you know, particular yeah. neurons are activated Receptors, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's but going like, on But
1: like, yeah, my, my, I don't know. I mean, this makes probably no sense, but I wonder if you, when you do these things, there are there uh, in your everyday normal state, there might be certain things in the brain that might act as filters in a way, like yeah, right. And I wonder if when you ingest something that contains this property, this hallucinogenic property like psilocybin or lsd mm-hmm. those filters are turned off in a way and you're able to experience feel see certain things that maybe are they there in in real life that we just can't see or are the i don't know i mean that makes probably no sense at all but no it makes complete just, I, sense I, I, I don't know
0: there's an actual, there's a neurological explanation for that. No, you're absolutely right. Like there's, there are parts of our brain that uh, inhibit other parts of our brain, but more specifically to exactly what you're talking about, there's a part of our brain called the thalamus and that has a inhibitory effect and it kind of like a dial knob that kind of turns up or turns down uh, the emotional centers of our brain. So allows our creativity to, To express itself more or less uh, depending Uh, on how active it is so yeah i mean certainly if if these particular drugs decrease the the inhibitory uh factor from mm -hmm. this particular region of the brain then you're essentially you you have a brain that's just going wild and if you inhibit specific parts of like your frontal cortex the the part that's uh where you're your forehead is, uh, Mm -hmm. then you're, you're thinking less rationally. So you could really, uh, encounter all kinds of different, different things. Like alcohol is a great example. That's, it has a specific impact on the frontal cortex and that's why our rationality, we just become more of dumbasses and things of that nature. But certainly I imagine drugs have, or psychedelic drugs have, uh, impact on other aspects that that alcohol doesn't
1: Yeah, I mean Yeah, I hope I hope someday we'll have an an answer to that.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. I'm I'm also intrigued by just the long-term effects if a person were to continuously take drugs. Like you, you hear about some people that just smoke weed every day. And uh, I wonder what impact that would have long term on the brain, because our brain is constantly remodeling. And that's, that's, that's an area that used to be debated even as early as like the mid 2000s. But recently, or, you know, not even recently, even like 10, 15 years ago, they started talking about how the brain will remodel and we can generate new neurons. And imagine if you're constantly under the influence of anything, like if that's an antidepressant, if that's an anti-anxiety drug, if that's uh, weed, if that's uh, whatever it is, LSD, uh, if you're constantly under the influence of that particular drug, I wonder what impact that has in terms of our neurology, like how our neurons are able to communicate with one another, because our neurons will... Will essentially grow either closer connections or more st- stronger connections or weaker connections, which is uh, called Hebbian or non Hebbian learning. Hebbian being a, if you have neuron A and neuron B, they're, they're communicating with one another, then they, they become stronger in terms of their communication. Or uh, non Hebbian is when you start looking at the neurons around neuron A and neuron B, and they start having an influence because neuron A and neuron B are communicating with one another. So they start changing in terms of how how long they are, how wide they are, how many neurotransmitters they release, like things of that nature. And uh, you can imagine that if you're constantly under the influence of something, that that could have a, I don't know if it's permanent, but at least some sort of influence like if you're seeing hallucinations all the time not that you experience that with weed but like if you were to experience that with like lsd or something and you constantly take lsd uh that that could potentially have an impact on how you see the world in general uh i don't know like i certainly don't know the answer but it'd be really interesting to see studies on that kind of going forward yeah yeah, and I think they're probably doing that
1: now, you know, looking at long-term effects and they just don't maybe have enough information. But, you know, there's been certainly people, um, you know, in the world who have done LSD for decades and decades and seem to be, you know, fine, not impacted like I guess, physically in a negative way. But yeah, you wonder what the impact is mentally um, going on inside your brain. I don't know if you've ever heard of Terrence
0: McKenna before. Yes, heard, don't know anything about.
1: Well, he was basically a, God, probably, you know, he was a part of the 60s counterculture and 70s and 80s but I think he died of cancer Hmm. um, in the 90s or 2000s but he was like a huge psychonaut basically Uh, a guy who does as much psychedelics or as many different psychedelics as possible and uh, relays his experiences on paper and and recounts it um, Via recordings that he has, and some of the recordings are pretty pretty insane. Like he talks about doing DMT. Um, there's a YouTube recording of him, and just just the way he describes it is really really fascinating and entertaining. But he wrote a book called "Food of the Gods," I think, yeah. and he proposed um, something now called the Stoned Ape Theory, okay, or hypothesis basically we there's a certain period in our evolution where our brain size doubled or tripled or whatever and this is only a short window of time when you look at the biggest the whole picture it's like i don't know how many i don't know don't quote me on it but 100 to three hundred thousand years or something like that when the our brain size doubled and we are basically who we are at this point Mm -hmm. um and in that time his proposal as to why that happened and to why human beings have consciousness is because we were a hunter-gatherer sort of society at that time um on earth and basically you follow the animals and then the waste of animals that you follow grow mushrooms and and some of those mushrooms are psychedelic properties and like you are mentioning um, certain serotonin levels certain uh, neurological pathways are opened up and expanded and over the course of so so long after doing that for so long he proposed that these mind-altering hallucinogenic substances We're a catalyst for our brain growth, um, our consciousness expansion in a way. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, that's insane. But I think when more research comes out on its effects, I mean, people might take a little bit more seriously because we don't know at all why we are the way that we are and why humans have this capability for sort of self-awareness self-understanding and when you look into you can look into your your own mind and you can also imagine what it might be like to be something completely different than yourself whereas we don't think other animals have that capability that's kind of what consciousness he's talking about and i don't know i just i thought it was super interesting i mean he's at least coming up with something
0: you Oh, know? it's fascinating absolutely yeah and that, yeah. that paper that Bobby and I went through, that specifically looked at psychedelic drugs and their impact on brain growth. So he's absolutely yeah. right. Psychedelics yeah. do increase the size of the neurons and do lead to a greater connectivity between neurons. As a matter of fact, there's greater connectivity with marijuana. I remember reading and reporting on a particular paper that even looked at something that's non psychedelic as far as I understand you know I'm not I don't know a whole lot about different psychedelic drugs but yeah but even with marijuana there's a greater level of connectivity in the brain from the presumably because of the consumption of of marijuana uh, of and the same was true and even more markedly a a huge change with LSD and DMT and uh, psilocybin some of those Uh, tended to have a dramatic impact in terms of brain growth now if that necessarily translates to any sort of functional outcomes you know we we don't know that that's where the research Mm -hmm. would would still have to go but yeah it's really interesting you said Terrence McKenna yes Terrence McKenna I think I think Bob knows about him too so oh I'm sure he
1: does he's like a very seminal figure in that sort of world yeah and um the book Food, Food of the Gods is, is really, it's a cool book. I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating look into that world before anybody else was kind of really seriously having these ideas, and he kind of went to the next level right. um, with it. Right. Um, in, a, in a time where it was maybe being looked down upon. But uh, his brother, actually, um, I think his name's Dennis, um, did a ton of work with him. But he's still alive, and he's been on Joe Rogan a couple times, oh. um, and it's it's really good, really good interviews. And they talk about his brother, and they talk about things like we're talking about now. And uh, he's a good, he's a really great guest. And obviously, you can look that up on YouTube and find it pretty quickly. Um, but Joe Rogan was a huge, you know, Terence McKenna fan I guess he always wanted to meet him but I think he just died a little prematurely um, but there's so much you know footage and mm. writing from him that he really liked and his brother continues to kind of hold his torch and do a lot of work and he's a really smart guy too
0: yeah he seems like he seems like a really interesting character I think I remember uh, Bobby actually sending me a a quote by Terrence McKenna, but I can't remember what that, that quote was. Because I remember re- reading up a little bit on him, and you mentioned that uh, he died because of, uh, a, of cancer. I, don't, I, I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, I found it. DMT is a reliable method for crossing into a dimension that human beings have debated the existence of for 50,000 years. Is there an invisible nearby world inhabited by active intelligences with which human beings can communicate? You bet your boots there is. Terence McKenna.
1: <laughs> See uh, uh, I mean yeah, DMT is kinda like the frog experience where you know, it's ten, fifteen minutes of just the most intense thing and Joe Rogan described it as like mushrooms times a million right. um you know, in outer space or something like that.
0: Yeah. This is how I responded to Bobby's quote by Terrence McKenna. <laughs> he can shove his inspirational quotes up his own ass. <laughs> the dude does drugs Uh, and suddenly has an explanation for how we can talk to extraterrestrial beings okay okay (laughs) i think i think i think i'll stick to i think i'll stick to the science but well
1: you know what he also says i think of going to the grave without having a psychedelic experience like going to the grave without ever having sex (laughs) It means that you never figured out what it's all about. The mystery is in the body, and the way the body works itself into nature.
0: Okay, he he had me for the first half. I could <laughs> I, could, I could somewhat agree. Like, I there's there's a part of me that's like, yeah, you know what? Honestly, that would be something that you would want to experience at some point in your life. Just to just to say yeah. that you've experienced it, but uh, yeah. I, once once you start stretching the uh, the the truth on i'm not i'm not discounting any actual experiences but once you start getting into like hey i'm going to explain physics or i'm going to start explaining science without actually having done anything except taking a drug and let my mind take me to to wherever i need to go like you're still limited by your brain like if you didn't learn anything and you take a drug, and it opens up all these different ideas, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're true, that just means that your brain is taking you for a ride, which is amazing, which is really cool, and that's something that probably a lot of people should experience, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not sold, but it'd be really interesting to discuss him, and uh, and I mean, God, I, I'm so out of my element in terms of... Uh, of all this stuff that it'd be great to, to interview him and you seem to know quite a bit about it too. So I'm sure you get kick out of it. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that'd be great.
0: Yeah. Just let him know. Yeah. Sounds good. Well, I think on that note, do you want to end or do you have a, another particular topic that's (laughs) burning? Um,
1: no, not really. I mean, I was gonna segue into um, drug laws and things like that, but we can save that for maybe when he comes on. Oh, Um, he's got—he might know a little bit about that too. (laughs) Yeah, because you know there's an epidemic now with opioids and fentanyl in particular, and uh, it'd just be interesting to see his opinion on that and looking at Portugal, they've legalized everything. Huh. And, and they're, um, it's crazy numbers that have just deaths have gone down so much. Huh. Uh, I don't have all the facts in front of me, but, um, yeah, they legalized all drugs. That's incredible. Know, a, over a decade ago, I think at this point, and they've never hesitated. I don't think by going back because, the overwhelming positive effects that has had, you know. Yeah. But I need to look more into. It. I think he probably knows more about that, but that was something that you know, I think we could we could definitely talk about and potentially learn from.
0: Yeah, I would t- that would be really interesting. I had no idea. I really had no idea. So that's yeah. that's a great social experiment to to discuss. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. But yeah, aside from that, that's pretty much all. Okay. Well, I'll talk to him and uh, I'll see if I can get him on next week or, or the weekend after and yeah, try just to figure it out. And then in a few weeks I'll be home so we can uh, do the whole wine tasting and, uh, do the, the live, the live podcast. That'd yeah. be a lot of fun. Yeah. Let's do it. Sounds good. Well, folks, that's the episode. Hope you, hope you guys have a great week and, at least from my end, I wish you a great week. Have a good one. Yeah, we'll see you later.